on any property. Don't hurt yourself. But I want to save celebration. I want to save wild, crazy night. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. And whatever comes our way.
Good morning, good morning. You're gonna have to bear with me for a minute. I'll let you know where we're at soon. Let's see, I gotta pay a toll. That's what we're up to right here. Don't worry, we got a great morning coffee notes coming up for you. Real soon now, boys and girls. Gotta get my money out. Here we go. Hey. Okay. There's $5. Thank you. Well, everybody. Let me turn the music down a little bit here. It's uh, good morning. It's morning coffee notes. Uh, wow, today is February 4th, 2005, and I'm coming to you from New Jersey on the new, just got off the New Jersey Turnpike, about to cross uh, over a big honking bridge here that's going to take me into the great state of Delaware. And then after that, <laughs> it's not a great state, but it, yeah, it is. All right. You know, somebody's, somebody's got to be from Delaware. Lots of companies from Delaware. Anyway, um, and then after that, Maryland, and then through the District of Columbia, and then out on the other side into Maryland, uh, into Virginia, sorry, where I'm going to be spending four days. Um, and, uh, and then from there, um, south to Greensboro, North Carolina, for three days, and then uh, to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, for a blogging conference of all things in Chapel Hill. And then after Chapel Hill, I'm um, going to South Carolina and then Florida, probably. I, you know, not planning all that far in advance, but uh, that's sort of the outline of things right now. Um, and it's cool to be doing a podcast again. Uh, on the first leg, first day of this trip, which like the first couple of days, of course, are very short driving. They they put these cities very, very close together on the East Coast. So just as like you're beginning to get your head of steam up. Oh, there's a... That was interesting. There, there was a um, an SUV flying the flags of the Atlanta Falcons. You know that this road that I'm on, Interstate 95, is the road that you would be taking if you were driving from Boston to Jacksonville, Florida, which is where the Super Bowl will be played on Sunday, which is the day after tomorrow, so uh, we may actually see, you never know, uh, we may actually see, hey, I gotta pay another toll, that was really quick, um, yeah, easy pass accepted, no, we get to go over the bridge first before I pay the toll, the toll's on the other side of the bridge, anyway, why now, um, well, you know, it's been a long time, it's been a couple of weeks at least, since I've done a podcast, um, I didn't do one all the time. I was in Boston. I I went to the um, blogging, journalism, and credibility conference. Uh, um, hung out with a lot of uh, old friends from Boston. Got snowed on. But you know something about it. It's like I don't feel like doing a podcast until I get on the road, and I don't do a podcast until I feel like doing a podcast. I don't buy into this crap of, well, you've got to do one every day, no matter what, rain or shine. Because, frankly, I don't like listening to those kinds of podcasts where it's sort of a chore. I like it when it's a, it's a source of inspiration. And the only way it can be a source of inspiration is if the person who's doing the inspiring is himself a little bit, un, you know, inspired. So, 
anyway, I was listening to the Gilmore Gang, the latest one uh, with Dan Bricklin, and uh, boy, I had one of these moments where it doesn't happen all that often when you're listening. Yep, uh, there goes the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, that's not the Atlanta Falcons. Is it the Philadelphia Eagles? God, see, I don't even know who's playing in the Super Bowl. It's one of those two teams. It's It can't be Philadelphia, though. Oh, I know why we're seeing Philadelphia, because I'm right near goddamn Philadelphia. <laughs> Duh. Yeah, I mean, if you look over to the right, I think this river that we're crossing right now, which is a huge honkin' river. Honkin', when you hear honkin', think of the other word that sort of sounds like that. Um, I think that river goes to Philadelphia. I think we're, like, like in the sphere of influence. So cars have to pay $3. Uh, so before I do this toll uh, thing again, you're going to get to hear, uh, I won't have to ask how much it is because I know, but uh, I had one of those, got to get off to the side of the road ASAP and start a podcast thing, a moment where I just had to say, whoa, you guys are so close to something that is so important. And... Uh, why don't we just leave it right there, and that's where I'll pick it up. Because I got a lot of shit I want to talk about today. I know I won't get to all of it, but that's good, because we'll then do another podcast real soon. So I'm going to put down the mic right now and turn the radio back on as we come into the state of Delaware. I'll be right back, okay? Hold on. Don't go away. Watching right now, all AirTran Airways destinations are on sale. Book at AirTran.com by February 15th and fly by June 15th, 2005. 10-day advance purchase required. Blackout dates apply. Only Lowe's has everything you need for your home right next door. Because we're opening our newest store right in your neighborhood. Come in today and you can enter a $1,000 shopping spree. Win and use it on over 44,000 home improvement items from the best brand names. So you'll find everything from light products to lighting to windows. How are you? In fact, Hi. Lowe's has over 400 brand name appliances in stock. All ready to be taken home today. You now the toll booth people. Really away your old Let's turn that down. The toll booth people really appreciate it when you say, hey, how you doing? And then they say, how's your day? Have a good day. And then you say, have a good day yourself. And they smile at you. And they get on and do the next thing. The next person coming through. Boy, they have to talk to a lot of people. I can't imagine. can't imagine what it must be like to be one of them. Anyway, so Doc Searles was talking about wireless devices. And about how there was some feature that he wanted on wireless device. And he said, you know, I wonder if anybody who could do this feature is actually listening to the podcast. Well... And then he sort of shrugged his shoulders and said, yeah, probably not, or something like that. But here's the clue. Doc, if you're listening, check this out. There is somebody listening who could do the feature. You! And that is the way. That is the secret. That's what blogs, that's where the power of blogs is. And I've written about this so many times, and I've been, like, so wishing other people would sort of go get there. And I think that the Gilmore Gang guys are, like, really close to this sort of, to the view that that I've sort of been writing about for quite some time. This is the non-nickel and dime approach to making money off of the internet. It's not about running ads and, you know, marketing top-down in the traditional way that marketing has been for all of our lives. That's the centralized model. That's the monoculture. In, in fact, what the internet is good at doing is starting new businesses from users who actually know what users want because they themselves are users. 
the, 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 you might call this Weiner's Law, one of my laws, is that it's easier for a user to become a manufacturer than for a manufacturer to become a user. And I don't know why, I can't explain, That's, I only know this law from empirical observations. It's not like I understand the theory of it, because frankly, I actually really in my heart don't believe that it's all that hard to become a, um, a user, especially of your own product. And I don't think your product has much of a future unless you are a user, but there you have it. A lot of people make products and they don't use them, so then they don't know what the users want, and therefore, well, in the past that's meant that the users don't get what they want, but in the future it won't mean that at all. In the future, what that will mean is, is that, you know, if 15 users get together on a blog and say, you know, wouldn't it be great if we had a cell phone that did this, 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 and this, um, well, then you can hire a programmer to build those features for you and sell it to other users. And if you are like a lot of other people, by the way, um, 65 miles to Baltimore right now, and if you're like a lot of other people, then you'll sell a lot of product. Maybe you could sell a million of them. Make a dollar on each one, that's a million bucks. You know? And that's that's good money, you know? And that's much better money than you're going to make by putting ads on your blog. Now, maybe it's not true for everything you do, and maybe that's not the only reason you blog. Of course not. Of course it's not the only reason you blog. You blog because you have a passion for whatever it is you're blogging about. If you're running a news-oriented blog, it's because you have a passion for news. If you're running a blog about your children, like Julie, or like being a parent, actually, to be more accurate, which is what Julie Leung does her blog about, well, that's because you have a passion about children, about being a parent, and specifically about your children, and, and it's you, this is your way of expressing the, the sort of, the uh, random ideas that you sort of want to hold on to in some fashion, or, or maybe the opposite, you just want to put them, get them out of your body so that you don't have to hold on to them, no matter what. The, this idea of recording your thoughts, recording your experiences, doesn't necessarily relate to making money, which is a point that Doc Searles has been making a lot, and of course he's right about that. Um, your front porch doesn't have a business model. You have a front porch because, hey, it's nice to have a, a place to sit when it's hot outside and, uh, and enjoy a nice cold glass of lemonade or, you know, there are lots of things in life, in life that, that don't have a business model. In fact, almost everything in life doesn't have one. So, you know, the hell with that. You don't have to make money. But this, if you do end up making money on the Internet, I think you're going to make a lot more money this way. And so they're almost there. They had, uh, in the, 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 the one before this, though, was with a guy, uh, I think his name was Stephen, yeah, Stephen Hill, um, who was from somehow a producer related to NPR. And boy, that guy... Well, he's clearly really smart, said a lot of really dumb things. The most dumb of all of the things that he said uh, was that, you know, podcasters are going to have to improve their quality. And by that he means recording quality. Uh, you know, let's get rid of the dead air and let's improve the, uh, the frequency range and get rid of all the flaws and crap like that, you know. Uh, because here come the NPR guys and they don't have any of that crap. Well, I got news for you, buddy. It ain't going to be like that. It is not going to be like that. You need to check this out seriously. The flaws add character to the to the work. They let you know that it was not dumbed down and, 
had all of its soul. There's another uh, Philadelphia. I think the Philadelphia Eagles won. I don't think it's the Atlanta Falcons, folks. I think it's the Philadelphia Eagles. Talk about clued in. I just saw another car with jersey plates headed south on 95 waving the, the flag. Uh, you know, with jersey plates, boys. That's not an Atlanta Falcons fan. I got, I got news for you. I think I need to go back and do some research on this one. Um, yeah, the product. I mean, you would never have heard a little diverse for for crying out loud. You know, Morning Edition isn't recorded by some schmuck driving in his car from New York to Washington D.C. Simply doesn't happen. But, and I don't care if they have more listeners than I do. I have the right listeners. The people who listen to my stuff, they're the people I want to be listening to it. Which leads me to the next segue. You wouldn't believe. You fucking wouldn't fucking believe who the fuck listens to this podcast. I have, boy, I mean, I, I get blown away sometimes by that very interesting people listen to this. And so I get really nervous when I think about that. So... I'm not going to think about that, but um, I wrote a, a bit, and this may be my takeaway from the the credibility conference that we just had at Harvard. Um, you know, I did a lot of work leading up to it, and you know, it was it was kind of predictable conference. It was, you know, the bloggers talking about how we really don't mean the professionals any harm, and. You know, we're not out to get them, and we're not really doing what they're doing, and, you know, we're not. We are not doing what they're doing. That Let me just say that really clearly. We're doing something very different from what they're doing, and, and potentially related to what they do. But, boy, they're going to have to change if they want to get in. They're going to have to do some serious changing if they want to get in on it. Frankly, at this point, I don't really care anymore. I mean, it's just... You know, it's enough already, basically, of the arrogance and of the talking down to-ness and all the rest of that stuff. You know, when you actually see the physical bodies of these people, you realize, you know, they should realize that they're not talking to stupid people. They're not talking to inexperienced young people. I'm older than quite a few of these people. And, you know, it's like, but yet they assume because they're part of an older industry, or they're part of an industry at all, uh, I guess, then that they can sort of teach me a bunch of stuff. Like, you know, I'm the kid and, and they're the wizened elder. But in truth, I, th- I think, well, I don't care. Anyway, um, what was I going to say? Yeah, you know, so we did a lot of like sort of like, well, we're not really trying out to get you. But yet the articles coming out of the damn thing were exactly that. They're, you know, bloggers think that they can defeat the pros and, you know, blah, 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 but of course they can't because we're really cool. And what I liked about that actually was cool about this was that now all these guys, I don't know, this becomes something that we can all, as bloggers, can experience together instead of having to face this uh, as individuals. I mean, this is what my life is like. A lot of people really take offense at stuff that I say, even though I don't say that, you know, like, you're stupid, like, 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 here's your name and you... Mr. So-and-so are really stupid. I mean, if I do say that about somebody in particular, I would expect them to be angry (laughs) with me, but I really try to avoid doing that. I will, however, say that, like, whole professions miss the point, and maybe talking generalities about types of things that don't make sense to me or whatever, 
But saying that an individual is really stupid, that's not something I really want to do. But it isn't, it isn't something that the professionals mind doing. They come at you and they say things you didn't say. They respond to things that you didn't say. And what was cool about this was that they were doing it to all of us at the same time. So now I get a sense of that, hey, there are other people now who know what I've been going through. And I imagine that they feel the same way, that now there are other people who get that how hard it has been to have this conversation <coughs> with these stinking reporters when they take everything as a personal attack. I mean, that's basically what's going on. If you say, look, you guys missed the story, then they take that as a personal attack. Well, Dan Rather did miss the story. Everybody knows that. Well, how many times have reporters missed stories the same way Dan Rather missed stories? Do you think that was the first time? I don't think it was. I think they're doing it all the time. I think that time it happened to happen during a political, the heat of a presidential campaign when there was a ton of attention focused on them and so that the story that they screwed up could gain traction, it was able to gain attention. But shit, I've seen it happen so many times when the reporters completely blew the story and it's very, very hard to get the ball rolling on that, to get anybody to look at it when that happens. You know, they, they, they tell you, oh, well, we've got ombudsman. Well, the ombudsman blow you off. Say, hey, you know, you blew that story. You got the facts wrong. Maybe somebody there has a conflict of interest who's being paid to get the facts wrong, huh? Well, you know, they, then they look at you and say, well, obviously you have a bone to pick with this newspaper, so we don't have to look into it. So what kind of accountability system is it that they get a choice, they get to decide whether or not they're going to look into the, the challenge to their integrity and based on, well, we think you've got it in for us. Well, you know, how would you like it if the government could do that? Oh, well, we don't want to deal with this accusation because we think you have it in for us. I mean, isn't that what Nixon was saying all the time? Or isn't that what Clinton called the vast right-wing conspiracy? You know, had he had his druthers, I guess he would never have been investigated. And maybe some people would prefer that he hadn't been. But we insist on accountability in government. We insist on accountability in healthcare. I just listened to a report on NPR about the insurance industry and the banking industry and the healthcare industry and how all these three industries. This is a fascinating story, actually. Um, hold on, I gotta pay another toll. Boy, they really get you right here. Let's see, I gotta go for $2. And I gotta find a place that I can pay cash. But let me not forget about this. This was a really great story. Uh, yeah, I think I'm okay. I'm putting the mic down. I'll put the radio back on so you can have some music while we're doing this, okay?
understand. Isn't that a fine song? That's a song from when I was like in sixth grade. Of course, I had no idea what it meant. In my midnight confessions, when I tell all the world that I love you, poor Schnitt. He's sad because his girlfriend dumped him. You know, people say that, like, the best songs, there's so many love songs. Actually, check it out. There really aren't all that many love songs. There are far more songs about getting dumped than there ever were about falling in love. Because when you're in love, check this out, when you're in love, who has time to write a song? <laughs> you're busy being in love. You're busy making love. But uh, when you get dumped, boy, yeah, you got nothing but time then. Lots of songs. Lots of creativity happens when you get when people get dumped. Anywho, um, yeah, so I was listening to WNYC, which is the NPR station in New York. and Or one of them. There actually are a couple, I think. Well, never can be sure. Anyway, um, this is the one, by the way, that Jonathan Schwartz is on on the weekends. That's Jonathan Schwartz, the radio guy, not... Jonathan Schwartz, the COO of Sun Microsystems. They have the same name, in case you hadn't figured that out. Anywho, um, so yeah, they had this uh, professor from Harvard Law School, whose name I cannot remember, it was a woman, and she was very earnest, enthusiastic. She had discovered something that was really amazing. It was amazing. They had done a random phone survey of something like 1,500 households that had gone bankrupt. In other words, all of them had one thing in common, that they had all gone bankrupt, but they were chosen at random. They weren't like a certain kind of bankruptcy or a certain kind of family. And three quarters of them had gone bankrupt because they had had a catastrophic they, because of medical expenses, basically, because something had happened. Somebody had gotten sick or had been in an accident, somebody in the family, and the, um, and the expenses had piled up, and they, in order, they couldn't pay them, and they had to go bankrupt. And the fascinating thing about it was, now get this, that half of those, so half of the three quarters had insurance. So it wasn't like they were uninsured. They just didn't have enough insurance or they were sort of in a precarious credit situation anyway. They were like in debt and sort of just making it, you know, from month to month with payments, with mortgages, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, or they hadn't read their insurance uh, agreement and so they didn't know what it was covered or was not. In some cases, the surgery was covered, but and the... But the uh, uh, the, rehabil the rehab and the prescription medications were not covered. Uh, some cases they told she told the story of one guy who, and you know, you think, okay, well, it's cancer or heart disease or, you know, whatever, something really terrible. But actually, in one case, this guy had just, like, destroyed his knee and needed reconstructive surgery and his insurance paid for that but it didn't pay for the rehab and it didn't pay for the uh for the cane and the braces and all the kind of incidental stuff and and he was in the hole for thirteen thousand dollars and he faced a future where he was never going to get out of that hole so he went bankrupt and they went on didn't they the show i think it was a half hour it was like half of the brian lehrer show on wnyc 
and uh, and she was great. It was really fascinating. It hung on every word. It was really, really very well done. And I'm sure my colleagues at Berkman know exactly who this is. And uh, but the point was this: is that they were covering, and she made this point herself, is that you know they tend to in the you know in the press, you know, focus on the medical industry in one show and the next show it'll be on the health industry and in the next show um, it'll be let's see what I say medicine uh, insurance and health okay those are the three industries that were so but she said that the actually for the families that are involved for the people involved it's it's all of them happening at the same time and so it's it's systematic and and you realize that there's one really important industry. I'm finally getting to the punchline now. There's one really, really, really important industry in our country that never gets looked at, and that's the media industry. And I wrote about this on Scripting News, and I've actually, this is not nearly the first time I've written about it. It's sort of a recurring theme. I keep waiting for other people to go, oh, you know, he's got a point there. Maybe we want to do something about this. Um, because the reporters can't or won't write about their bosses. You know, and so I wrote this, and some asshole, real, I mean, I'll tell you his name, but I don't remember it, but boy, this guy really ripped me a new one. And he, I swear, either he's stupid or he didn't read what I wrote, because he throws this, what was, what's the guy's name at uh, CNN? Howard Kurtz, Washington Post reporter, talks about Howard Kurtz, and he talks about ombudsman and how Dave Weiner doesn't have a clue about how this system really works. Well, schmucko, I'm not talking about Howard Kurtz. I mean, can you ever imagine Howard Kurtz taking on um, Sumner Redstone or uh, deciding to do an investigative report of the board of directors of Time Warner, who, by the way, writes his paycheck, um, or the Washington Post company. I'm talking about the people who own the company, not the editors of his newspaper. These guys, they're very, they love looking and gazing at their own navel narcissistically. They even chuckled to themselves, oh, we're gazing at our navel now. Oh, isn't that fun? I mean, they love it. They love it. They love looking at, up their own asshole and telling you what it smells like. <laughs> this is, but they won't, they aren't going to look at the bosses. And these people have an unbelievably huge amount of power. Unbelievable. Just how much power they have. Um, they, I mean, they were the ones who decided that Howard Dean should go as a candidate. I mean, you know, that was a decision that was made by the media industry. No one element of the media industry made it. It wasn't just Time Warner that decided that in all of our news outlets we're going to like cover that scream speech like it was news. It wasn't just Fox. It wasn't just Viacom. It wasn't Disney. It wasn't the New York Times or the Washington Post. It was all of them. Now, how do they all do that and none of them decide to go ahead and find out why they're all doing it? Because that was the story. The story wasn't that Dean screamed at some, you know, rally for his supporters. I mean, you know, fair and balanced would say, oh, maybe, maybe there are two points of view on this. Maybe we better go find out um, what it sounded like to a person in the audience. Well, you know, the reporters did do that. And they did find out, and they didn't wait. They found out within minutes that there were there was another point of view. That other point of view never made it on the air until after the Dean candidacy was over. And and it wasn't like a momentary decision. 
you know, when Diane Sawyer interviewed Howard Dean and his, and, and his wife um, on TV four days later, they didn't say, well, you know, by the way, uh, you know, uh, here's, here's a take on this that, um, that's from the audience point of view, and Howard can't even hear you saying anything, much less screaming. Um, so it's something to think about. These people are making decisions. They're they're and and you know they make all the money. These these candidates when they're running for office, they're raising hundreds of millions of dollars to spend on what advertisements, TV advertisements, radio advertisements, newspaper and magazine ads. And where and who gets that money? Well, it's Clear Channel, Viacom, Disney, Time Warner, all these guys. The same guys who decide who gets to be a candidate are the ones that make all the money. So do you think they have a little bit of a conflict of interest there? What do you think they're really interested in? Well, Parsons at, at Time Warner, Rebecca McKinnon did ask him, you know, how do you feel? This is, uh, she was working as a reporter at CNN. Do you feel that CNN is just a product just like any other Time Warner product? And he said, absolutely. It's about making money. And so if one candidate is going to raise $200 million and, and is willing to cut a deal where some X percentage of that ad budget is going to go to CNN um, and some percentage is going to go into Time Magazine, uh, I think Richard Parsons might tell somebody at one of those publications that, yeah, we kind of like that candidate. Why don't you see what you can do to help him out? Do they do that? Yeah, I think they do it. You know, the reporters that you know, the names that you know, these people have visibility into that process. They know what it's like to be inside of one of these media companies. They don't report on it, though. So, I don't know what you want to do about that. I know that, for me, it means I have to, at the very least, not trust them to tell me what's going on inside these companies, because they don't do it. But I've also, in the past, challenged some of them. You know, because I see this convergence happening where, you know, if you're a reporter and let's say you cover the tech industry, so you might write a piece that blasts Microsoft for doing something a technically incompetent or technically unethical or whatever. It seems only fair that in this age of the web when basically every publishing organization is also a technology company, well, you're turning your jets on a competitor of your bosses don't you think you ought to be looking at your bosses too? Or, let's put it another way, if we can't trust them, if we can't trust the reporters, and we can't trust them to go look into what's going on at their own companies, then how are we going to get the information about what these people are doing, and how are we going to hold them accountable? These are important questions. I, I have some ideas about how this works. And I think that ultimately it means that the this is all going to get disintermediated, that, that, that this sort of centralization, this monoculture phenomenon that's been going on for basically for all of our lives is now sort of winding down as, the, as it becomes more crucial that we look into the, the machinations of how information flows in our world and, and who has an interest in telling us what, that we have to look inside of those media companies, that they can't remain hidden from us any longer. 
And that is the conflict. This is the takeaway from the Blogger Journalism and Credibility Conference, is that the rest of it is all smokescreen. It, it is irrelevant. Our fights with the reporters are unimportant. The reporters are not the players here. They are not the players that they think they are, and probably in their hearts they know that. They probably know that they have very, very limited things that they are allowed to report on, and that there are certain areas where it's just better not to go there, not to even talk about it, okay? But they've got to know that that's a... Well, we'd call that a conflict, wouldn't you? It's like, you know, the ethos of the reporter is, you know, there are no limits on where I can go. But on the other hand, if you ask them a straight question... Could you go here? And the answer is, if you really press them on it, and I have, the answer is no, they can't go there. So, anyway, that was the takeaway from the conference. And um, and now I'm kind of, okay, I'm going to have to find a place to pull over because uh, this is the awkward thing about doing these. I'm on what they, what you might think of as a, uh, a closed freeway. They talked about uh, open and closed on the uh, on the Gilmore Gang uh, this week's Gilmore Gang, and uh, a closed freeway is one like the one I'm on where you can't get off of it unless you are willing to pay the toll and then get back on and pay another toll, which I suppose I could do. But uh, actually, you know what? I think we're coming up to a rest area now. Oh my God, 14 miles. <laughs> 14 miles, I don't think we're going to be doing. Um, yep. Oh, I see. Exit 93 is coming right up. Alright. Exit 93, one mile. So, we're on Interstate 95. If you're following along on the map. Um, Interstate 95 in, in the great state of Delaware. Uh, exit number 93. Actually, I can do that here. I was wrong. I can get right back on, I think. Anyway, that's my problem, not yours. You know, um, what was that? Better Bad News or something like that? They did this wonderful thing about, um, uh, about... Ethan Zuckerman and uh, David Weinberger and there was a whole back and forth mail going around about this and I saw it and I loved it and I was really pissed that they didn't like have me on that one because they were talking about all these other people and uh, well it turns out that they did do one on me and uh, so I've been kind of aware of that while I was doing this that I would try to do some entertaining stuff in here so that people who were going to, like, grab sound bites would find that there was some good stuff to grab. Let's see, coming up. I just took the exit, and I'm going to pull off the road right here, and then we're going to say goodnight. And uh, I think we'll be back really soon doing another Morning Coffee Notes. Let me just put some music on. This is the going out music. So it's been great talking with you, and uh, see you all real soon. Bye-bye. Maybe tomorrow When he looks down On every green field 